0: Well, isn't it wonderful to have the freedom to worship the way we do? Amen. Amen. So a little bit about me. I was raised with three sisters. Uh, I'm married. I have three daughters. So I am a self-proclaimed expert in women. Um, And so I'm going to share a little bit of advice that I've learned about women, and it's this. They like to be pursued. So fathers, your daughters like to be pursued. Husbands, if if you've had the approach where it's like, you know, I told you I loved you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Uh, That doesn't go over super well over time. They need to be pursued. Told I love you. If you are not married yet, young men, you're going to want to pay attention to this. Women want to be pursued. So write them notes. Make up poems. Even if they're really stupid, they actually like that stuff. Send them flowers and chocolates and those things. But... If they're not reciprocating, you know, if they're really not interested, then you should stop, otherwise you're going to be kind of a stalker type. Um, But if they are interested, keep pursuing. Now, I share that to say I I think our God, in in Scripture, you see God with us, and I think the picture is similar to that of a man wooing a woman. You know, the church, we are called the bride of Christ. A.W. Tozer says that when you think about God, Whatever comes to mind is the most important thing about you. So when you think about God, what comes to mind? Do you picture God as, as a, a judgmental father? You know, as a, as a kid with a magnifying glass waiting for you to mess up just so he can get you, so he can judge you. What do you view, how do you view God? Do you view him as a lover pursuing you because that's who he is? And my goal today, as I've been praying over what we're looking at in, in Acts chapter 8, is that we would get a bigger view of God and God's love. That we would get a more accurate view of how God thinks about you and thinks about me and what he's doing. So turn to Acts, if you would, please. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at Philip. Philip, not an apostle. Philip, somebody who was faithful in his home church. We saw Philip last week. Uh, we saw Stephen the week before, and if you remember, Stephen and Philip both, uh, they were Jewish Christians in the Jerusalem church. Uh, while they were there, they, they needed some extra servants, and so Philip and, and uh, Stephen were chosen to be one of se- or you know, two of seven, to volunteer just to serve in their home church. And I think that's a big deal. The first time we see them is just them saying, what's the church need? We're there. We'll, we'll serve. We'll get involved. What can we do? Then Stephen is martyred. He's the first martyr uh, of our faith. He's the first one to step out, and they stoned him. They killed him, which, after that, a great persecution broke out, and thousands of Christians fled. We looked at that last week, how thousands fled Jerusalem, except for the apostles. See, the apostles stayed, the rest went, and what we saw there in Acts already, Acts chapter 8, is that as they went, they all went sharing about Christ. And last week, as we looked at Philip, he went to Samaria. Now, remember Acts 1-8. The very beginning, we see Jesus give his outline. Here's the way it's going to go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Not, not you should be. You, you, can, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So last week, we saw the move to Samaria, and it was not through the apostles. Now, I think that's significant because the apostles are the ones that received that first command and they passed it on, but it wasn't the apostles that went to Samaria. It was a normal guy named Philip. And then the apostles went, a couple of them went and validated his ministry and went, okay, thumbs up, things are good, and went back to Jerusalem. Well, now we're going to see Philip again. Philip, we're not sure exactly where he is at this time, but in in, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, we see him get some instructions. So look at that. Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now let's stop there real quick. You know, we see here Philip, again, a normal guy, probably from Jerusalem, now cast out because of persecution. He sees great things happen in Samaria. He had seen great things happen in Jerusalem, and now an angel speaks to him and says, hey, I want you to go to this lonely road. It would be like an angel appearing to you and saying, hey, I want you to go out on the 50 on the way to Eureka and just start walking. You know, he'd be like, but great things are happening in Jerusalem. Great things are happening in Samaria. Why would I go there? Nobody's there. But what does he do? He goes. He's faithful. God seems to do this with his people. Do you remember Abraham? He's this guy in the Old Testament, the father of the Jewish nation. God told him, hey, I want you to go from here, where your family is, to a place I'll show you. And so he didn't tell Abraham what he was going to do. He just said, you go, and as you go, I'll I'll show you. There's something about God that when he grabs his people, he tells them what to do, but not always fully. He wants us to have faith and obey, and that's Philip here. He doesn't tell him why. And Philip doesn't ask why. He's like, but great things are happening here. Why should I have to go out there? Nobody wants to go to Eureka. I want to stay here. But he doesn't. He he goes. And this is in your notes. If you want to be used for the glory of God, be faithful where you're at. Be willing to go wherever Jesus leads. Again, you see that with Philip. In Jerusalem, he was faithful where he was at. And then God used circumstances of persecution to send him, and he went. And he was faithful wherever he went. And then here, he gets instruction. I want you to go there. And he's faithful to go. 2 Chronicles sixteen nine. It says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I love that verse because you see God just scouring the earth. I want to find somebody whose heart is all mine so I can use them for my glory. And there's great blessing for you in that. Philip is one of those. He's like, I can use Philip for whatever I want. Hey, go to Eureka. Okay, I'll go. Look at verse 27. And he arose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So here we're we're, we're introduced to kind of the main character other than Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't get his name. He's just called the Ethiopian eunuch. Who is this guy? Now here's the thing about studying Acts or really any other narrative. It's telling you what's happening. And here as we're studying Acts, we're seeing Acts 1-8, the pattern played out. The Ethiopian, this is the guy from the ends of the earth. And so this pattern, God said, this is how I'm going to do it, and this is how he's doing it. But there's also a lot of other little things that you see in here. And so we're going to pick on some of those. Now, who is this guy? He's an Ethiopian. He's a black guy from Africa. And he had traveled a long way to go to Jerusalem, probably a 50-day trip-ish, one way, to go to Jerusalem to worship. He was obviously very wealthy. He's in a chariot. So it's not, you know, a lot of times we just picture him in a chariot. He probably had an entourage. There was a bunch with him. He was a high official of a country that was led by a queen. And so he's wealthy, uh, he's well-placed, and he's a eunuch. That's significant. You know, this one story encapsulates quite a few things about God and about his pursuit of people. One, we see him going to the ends of the world, uh, you know, the ends of the nations. The other is, why is this guy a eunuch? Well, a eunuch was somebody who had been castrated. So, I mean, we don't have to get into the details of that, but things are, are cut off um, or, or crushed. Or, I mean, you can go through the list, but he was a eunuch. And they did this often. If you were a high official, especially with a queen, things are a lot safer if he's castrated. Or sometimes they would be with the harem of a king. The people that took care of the harem would be eunuchs. And so he is a eunuch. And there's something else I think that we're supposed to understand about this. How were eunuchs viewed by the Jews? He's coming from Jerusalem. When he went there, it says, to worship, he was probably rejected from the temple. In Deuteronomy 23.1, in the law, it says this, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly Of the Lord. You know, as I as I studied this, there's different resources and things, and they talk. Many agreed there was probably a sign at the temple that said eunuchs and and others were listed, but eunuchs were listed. If you come in here, you're taking your own life in your hands. Meaning, if you come in here, we're free to kill you. He went there to worship and was probably turned away or rejected. There were certain parts he could maybe get to, but he was probably rejected. But here, Philip runs him down. Philip goes to where God sent him and he's going to meet with him. And this is in your notes. Philip obeys God and meets a man who was excluded and rejected from worship. Again, some of this we're assuming what just happened, but with context, I think we can get a good picture. He's probably, we know he's somewhat confused. He's reading Isaiah and he's confused. Probably rejected, but, here he's, but his heart was for God. And so God, uh, this is one of those things we see in this picture. God had a plan to meet this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. God had not rejected him. God was running him down, and God had a preordained appointment for Philip that he set thousands of years before. He knew this was going to happen. He planned for it, and he just said, Philip, I've got this appointment for you. Go. Okay, I'll go. God was pursuing this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And then you see the spirit in verse 29 prompts him, prompts Philip to go over to join the chariot. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter." And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So Philip goes. The Spirit prompts him, but now he's there, and he hears the man reading Isaiah. I don't think Philip needed any more prompting. I think the Holy Spirit let Philip go at that point. I mean, goes with him, but he's not, you know, prodding him anymore. I, you've already, I've told you what to do when he's there. He hears him reading, and he just asks a question. You know, leans in the door or whatever. Do you understand what you're reading? What an opportunity. You know, this Ethiopian eunuch, one, he has a scroll of Isaiah. Possibly he just bought it in Jerusalem. And he's reading it as he goes, and he doesn't get it. This is another reason people think he was probably rejected there. He has all these questions that he didn't get answered when he was in Jerusalem. So he's now going and he's studying this. And Philip just leans in, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? I can't understand. Will you help me? This is every evangelist's dream. Right? I I mean, this is, when we talk about evangelism, and I think this is helpful. A lot of times, we have those people we love or we have those people in our life, we want them to come to know Christ, obviously. Life is only found in Christ, and so we pray, we seek. Sometimes we can be maybe a little bit overbearing on that pushing it because they're, they're green apples. They're not ready to be picked. Well, well this eunuch here, he's a red apple. I mean, he is, God has been pursuing him. God has been doing things in his life. He went all the way to Jerusalem, 50 days one way, this guy is seeking, he is a red apple. I mean, golly, this is so easy for Philip. All he has to do is, is speak. So he gets up there and he says, what are you reading? And he reads it. Well, this is Isaiah chapter 53. Th- these are the verses and those around it that Paul read for us during worship. Isaiah 53 is the greatest picture in the Old Testament of the suffering servant that would be the Messiah, meaning Jesus. So he he reads this, and he's wondering, you know, who who is this talking about? Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? How easy for Philip. Who is this talking about? This was written hundreds of years before Jesus. But this describes what Jesus was going to do as the suffering servant who needed to die for the sins of all mankind, including you and including me. And I think Isaiah 53, one of the verses that really sums up what is told in there is Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, that's the message of the gospel. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 35, then Philip opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Starting with this scripture. Who is this talking about? Philip says, this is talking about a guy named Jesus. Jesus. Who recently was in Jerusalem, who recently died on a cross. He was crucified and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He started here, but now he probably went other places in the Old Testament. He probably went elsewhere, you know, speaking to this eunuch about sin. God created things good. You, know, you see, when, when Peter preaches, he goes way back into Jerusalem or the Israelite history of what God did. We, sin caused a broken relationship between us and God. And there was nothing we could do about it. We see in Ephesians, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead, not just a little bit broken. Dead. And because we are dead, God needed to do something. Remember Jesus with Nicodemus. You know, and Nicodemus is, is speaking to Jesus, and he says, Nicodemus, and this was a Pharisee, a leader, a religious leader, he says, you need to be born again. He's like, how can I be born again? I'm pretty old. And he's talking about spiritual new birth. Philip is explaining the same thing to the eunuch. You are lost in your sins. And there's nothing you can do about it. But God. I mean, those are the greatest two words in all of scripture. But God. You are destined for hell. But God. There's nothing you can do about it. But God took on flesh. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus came. God in flesh. The Son of God came, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross. And on the cross, took on the burdens of all mankind. And here, in this verse, these verses, he's reading from Isaiah. Like a sheep, he went. He didn't speak. He lashed out. Read the Gospels. When Jesus went to the cross, they put a hood on his head and started beating him. Oh, you're, you're God. Prophesy. Who is it that's hitting you? They spit on him. They made fun of him. Then they stripped him naked and nailed him to a cross. In his humiliation, it says there in Isaiah. He is humiliated but he doesn't lash out. This is what Jesus went through to earn life. So Philip is explaining this to the eunuch, and the eunuch is listening, going, this is God? This is the one I heard about? This is the one I went to worship? And he loves, I was just rejected, but he loves me so much, he went to the cross and died for me. Philip takes advantage of this opportunity to boldly proclaim Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about getting better. It's not about being good. It's about Jesus. And you know, at some point, he probably added in there how Philip uh, quoted the prophet Joel, I'm sorry, how, how Peter quoted the prophet Joel in his first sermon. And he says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, place yourself in this man's shoes. And now he hears this. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even me? I'm a eunuch. I'm from Ethiopia. I'm not Jewish. I can't even become Jewish. I mean, go down the list. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh. And here's what what sticks out to me. You, do you look at your past? Do you worry about the things you've done and you wonder, can I be saved? Oh, I'm so dirty. I'm so filthy. God can't save me. I'm so broken. I have all these addictions. God can't save me. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And look at the lengths God went to to get to this guy. You're not here by accident. And if you're watching online, you didn't just stumble upon this on accident. As God preordained for Philip to meet with this Ethiopian has preordained for you to be here today, and maybe for somebody else to be in your life that needs this message. Now, I'm going to make another assumption that Philip took the scroll and rolled down a little bit to the next chapter and read this in Isaiah 56, 4, or three chapters later. In Isaiah 56, 4, it says, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Look at the play on words there. And he skips over and he says, God accepts you just the way you are, Mr. Ethiopian eunuch. Come to him. Come to him. God loves the outcast, the unclean, the sinner, and anyone can receive life by turning to Jesus. (laughs) Yes, Morgan, that is a perfect time to cheer. It is. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody. All can be saved. And God loves what we might see as weak or dirty or filthy. God loves. And if you look in the mirror and you see yourself as filthy and weak, whatever, go down the list. God loves you. Now, I told you at the beginning, there's a couple things that stick out to me, and, and here's the first one, really. God pursues, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Again, that, if there's one message that I want you to get, It's this, God pursues and there's nothing you can do to escape his love. God pursues, we we see the picture of the good shepherd, uh, of Jesus with his sheep, the good shepherd who will leave the 99 to find the one lost, to go get him. But here's the other side of that. You know, kind of like I told you, if you're pursuing a young lady and she's not interested, don't be the creeper, lay off. God pursues, but he's not a creeper. He gives you the freedom to choose. You can respond to his pursuit or not. But but if we reject, he's not going to just keep pushing and, and grabbing. We need to respond to his pursuit. But God pursues. God chases. Again, those sins in your past, God knows. Your current temptation, God knows. And you don't have to get clean. You need to come to Jesus. And then he'll work on cleaning you up. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, what does this Ethiopian eunuch do? Look at verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I love this picture. You know, in Scripture... When you see baptism, you don't see people go through a big class first. You see them place their faith in Jesus and get baptized. Remember at Pentecost when the disciples and and many others, all the disciples, 120 or so, went out and started speaking in tongues and preaching? And 3,000 were saved that day, and then they were immediately baptized. And again, try to picture that in Jerusalem, 3,000 people all trying to find water at the same time and getting dunked. That would have been a scene. But here, this eunuch, he gets baptized immediately. His first step of obedience. At Pentecost, the people were cut to the heart when they heard this good news. They said, what do we do? He said, repent and be baptized. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus. Not that you're going to be perfect, but the Lord of your life changes from being you to being Jesus, and you're baptized to show that. So here, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and not been baptized, i got to ask why. Because the scriptural pattern we see is its immediate obedience. It is our first sign of obedience. So he gets baptized. You know, I did some research trying to find out what happened to this Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know. We don't know, but there's some writing that came uh, some decades later, that says he went back to Ethiopia and became a great missionary there. And that wouldn't surprise me. Again, God wanted to go to the ends of the earth, so he sent Philip to meet this guy on a road who was going there anyway to bring the gospel to Ethiopia. And this leads to point two. In God's loving pursuit of people, he uses his faithful servants as his hands and his feet. This is another pattern you see in the New Testament and through history. In God's loving pursuit of people, he uses his faithful servants as his hands and his feet. He uses his word? Absolutely. He uses visions at times and still does? Absolutely. But even when he uses his word and dreams and things, he always, at least every story I've ever read or heard, then sends one of his people. Meaning you and me. If we have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, we are his hands and his feet. What if Philip said, no, I don't want to go down there? I mean, God knew he wouldn't, but, but what if he did? Now, I'm, I'm good up here. I'm going to hang out in Samaria a little longer. You know, i got a crowd here. There's nobody down there. But Philip went. What about us? Are we willing to be God's hands and his feet? Are we willing to be faithful where we're at and willing to go wherever he sends? And remember, the Great Commission... It says, go make disciples. It really is as you go, make disciples. Meaning, where are you? (laughs) Where do you live? Who are your neighbors? Where do you work? Where do you go to school? And who has God already preordained and put in your life that you are Philip? And they're the eunuch. Well, they're probably not a eunuch. But they're the one ready. They're the red apple. Ready to just hear the gospel and be invited to share in this life with Jesus. And as we go to wrap up here, I want to ask you, have you said yes to Jesus? (laughs) He, He has pursued you and continues to pursue you. Have you said yes to him? I want to invite you today. I don't care what you did. I don't care about your past. Any of that. Neither does God. He wants you to bow to him and he will give you life today. And then the rest of us, as we start to take the Lord's Supper, I want us to dwell a little bit on God's loving pursuit. Because even after we surrender to him, well, if you're anything like me, you still struggle. And we still need him to pursue, and he still does. He's so patient. And we can remember his pursuit. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper, remembering him dying on the cross, remembering his sacrifice. In Romans 5.8, it says, God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we celebrate in communion that when we were separated from God, nothing we could do about about it. Jesus came, paid the price for us. Jesus instituted the communion or Lord's Supper uh, in the last supper before he went to the cross. And he told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. This is one of those things we're commanded to do. We're commanded to be baptized, and then we're commanded to do this. As often as we do it, we're not told to do it every week or every other week we do it every other week some churches do it twice a year whatever but as often as you do it remember that i went to the cross for you remember my body broken remember my blood spilled but then it also looks forward he said until i come back and so here we're remembering what jesus did looking forward to him coming again to reign as king now if you're in here and you have not placed your faith in jesus as lord don't partake today This is for believers, and that's okay, but I'm going to be in the back, and if you want to come talk to me, if you want to pray, if you want to ask questions, come talk to me. Maybe today is the day when you give your life to Christ and take the Lord's Supper for the first time as part of his family. And as we do communion, here's the way we do it here. We have a table here and a table here. Again, it's it's COVID-free. So, it's the the individual little packets. There's the bread in the top. If you can't get it off like me, have your daughter do it for you. Um, But the bread is in its own little thing, and then there's the cup. But come, take it, sit down, pray with who you're with, pray alone, do whatever God would have you do. But let the Holy Spirit work on you, and then let's celebrate Him by taking the Lord's Supper and continuing to sing. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your pursuit. God, I look at my own life, And I look at the times in my life where I've tried to go my own way and you've come after me, I'd be lost if you didn't do that. And all of us can say the same thing God, without your pursuit, we would be nothing. We we can't find you on our own. We need you and we thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. And I ask if there's anybody here, Holy Spirit, that you're pursuing, And it's time for them to, as the Ethiopian eunuch did, it's time for them to repent and say yes to you. I pray that today would be the day that they would come talk to me right now in the back. Or if they're online, they would fill out the connect card and we can get a hold of them. But that today would be the day of salvation. And God, I pray that everybody in here and everybody watching online, you would fill us with your presence, fill us with your joy, your love, and your hope because we are secure in you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.